Hi everyone, I'm Martin Tyler. You are listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. Hope you've all had a good week. You've all had your haircuts, all been out drinking. And I know, I think some of the defences were out drinking in the National League. There was 41 goals across the division on Saturday. A bit of a, a mad Saturday, all being told. The kickoffs all at different times as well. Uh, joining myself, Lee Edwards, is our very own Bill and Ben, Dickie and Rob. Hiya, guys. Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Luke. Nice to see you. And yeah, we we've we, Rob and I both had our haircuts as promised, so we're looking a little bit tidier, even though that doesn't really cut any ice on a podcast, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, well, yeah. I won't mention the word barnets today, Rob. <laughs> you will. There'll be a big spot review in the Barnet Aldershot game today where it's normally a minute towards the end, isn't it? No, no, to be fair, no, no, I mean, we'll, we'll try and give it equal, <laughs> equal time and everything. Yeah. Um, but we will start with, uh, we feel it's right this week to start with the, the Yolva result. It's been as, as, as well documented, you know, a, a traumatic couple of weeks for the club with the death of club captain Lee Collins. And on Thursday, they did a YouTube video where they all just went out onto the pitch and, and just silently stood there and almost cleared their heads in a way and got themselves on the pitch ready for Saturday. Again, on Saturday, they took on Boreham Wood. Boreham Wood, Captain Mark Ricketts went on with a bunch of flowers. Really nice touch from them. And Ingova went out and got the victory by a goal to nil. And, and Darren Sal said afterwards that he couldn't go back in the dressing room because it was too emotional. So he did his post-match team talk on the pitch. And it was a fitting tribute, a win for Yeovil and a clean sheet. Lee Collins would have been proud of that, wouldn't he? He certainly will have done. And, one of the most difficult things for Yeovil as a football club was when when was it right to start playing again? And in some people's eyes, you know, I think it was three fixtures they called off. I might be wrong on that. It may have been two. But uh, in some people's eyes, they might have questioned why they didn't get started earlier. But I think Darren Sal summed it up in one of his previous interviews where he said, everybody deals with these things differently. And, and some people will, will will have mourned very quickly, grieved and, and cleared their head and gone again. And others, it will have hit them over time. So it was a difficult one. I know my own club, Aldershot, and I'm proud of this decision, were 100% um, you know, backed the, the, you know, the, the cooling off of the game against them. Something Aldershot are very, very strong on, um, the whole mental health side of the game. And you can't underestimate how something like that has an effect on those around him, even more so because he was the club captain. Um, well done, Yeovil, for getting out there again. Perhaps unfortunate, Borenwood, to be the first opposition to go there. Um, and, and Luke Garrard's men couldn't even pull off their uh, their usual draw, could they? No, and I'm sure it would have been mixed emotions for Luke Garrard. You know, he's a football man as well, and he would have known what it would have meant to Yeovil. But equally, he would have, he would have wanted that point, or, or at least get a draw to carry on there playoff ambitions and for Yeovil this could this could spur them on now couldn't it I mean I'm just trying to look at the table now I mean the 10 points off the playoffs but it's kind of when something like that happens it's almost like well let's do it for Lee and, and see what they can do I mean games might be against them but who knows yeah, I would think their motivation now, if it wasn't there before, and, and I, I do imagine it was with somebody as, as like Lee Collins as, as team captain, they they would have had that motivation to push on and finish the season strongly, I'm sure. They've now got 
extra motivation in the most tragic of circumstances. And yeah, it, it may well just galvanise them even further. The, the way they've dealt with this whole situation and the way that Yeovil as a club have handled this has been exemplary, really. It, it's a situation that nobody could ever dream or, or would even countenance of imagining themselves being in. But Yeovil have handled this so, so well. I think other teams in the National League, in terms of their understanding of, of Yeovil's situation, have also done brilliantly. I think it's it brought the best out of people in the worst of situations, and that's very often the case. And, and I think there's a, a huge doff of the cap to so many people in this respect. So moving on, let's let's start with the early kickoff because it was a fantastic game. BT were were drooling over it. They definitely picked the right game. Halifax four, Kingsland two. Kingsland were two 0 up inside twenty minutes, and for Halifax, it was almost uh, mental scars from Tuesday night when they lost four 0 at home to Wrexham. They were four 0 down before half time, and I'm sure if you're a Halifax fan, you're thinking, "Here we go again." But credit to Halifax, they eventually came back and were 2-2 at half-time. A lovely um, second goal by Jake Hyde for Halifax, running onto a free kick, chesting it down and drilling it in the corner. And then Kingsland, it's fair to say, fell apart in the second half a little bit. Hyde had two goals ruled out for offside as well, so it could have been a lot worse for them. But with the way the results have gone as well, it keeps Halifax's playoff promotion alive. And after after Tuesday night and 20 minutes on uh, on Saturday, they might have been thinking, do you know what, our playoff hopes might be being extinguished here. Yeah, it's a phenomenal response from Halifax, having conceded six goals in sort of a game and a half to pull themselves round and come through so strongly. What a game for BT Sport. I remember just a couple of weeks ago, there was a game at Stockport, wasn't there, on, on uh, live on BT Sport. It was nil-nil and it was like watching paint dry. It was awful. And, you know, they, w- they could have feel, felt unlucky on that BT because there wasn't, uh, you know, there's not been too many games like that this season. But I've got the stats on this one. A staggering 27 efforts on goal from Halifax. Um, I think it was 14 on target, 13 off. And Kings Lynn, to be fair as well, 12 efforts on goal. Um, It was a bit like a basketball match. I was obviously at another game and I haven't seen it yet, but I've recorded it. And whereas I'd normally have a flick through the highlights, I think I might sit down if I get the chance this week and watch all of that game. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Kings Lynn twice this season and they don't die wondering, it's it's fair to say. Um, They're... They love to go out and attack, and but they also they know like first half they did it against. I saw them do it against Oldham. First half against Halifax, they were very solid up until sort of the last ten minutes of the first half. But then when they do get the chance, they do look to break as well. And Gash is a good file for them up front. Yeah, he is, and they're a dangerous opponent right now. I'll get a, a first look at them this season on Tuesday night when when they come to the uh, EBB. Aldershot still got to play Aldershot um, still got to play Kingsland home and away. I'm kind of looking forward to it, but, you know, I just don't know, you know, what's going to turn up. I'm really looking forward to having a look at Sonny Carey. We've talked about him a couple of times on the podcast. He, he's certainly going to be in that list. If you were to draw up a list of 10 or 12 players that might well get a move up to the EFL in the uh, summer. Um, so I'm looking forward to Tuesday night. It should be good. Yeah, I mean, just quick word on Halifax again. I mean, I know Josh Gowley mentioned it, and I think defensively at home, they concede... They're conceding so many and, and Pete Wilde said they need to start games better. And that, and that is the worry for them. And if they do get into the playoffs and they face the likes of um, a Wrexham again or a Stockport, they can't afford to start like that and be two goals down in no time. Now, you've, you've only got one shot at it in the playoffs. And if you start a game poorly like that, 
the the opportunities to to come back when your season is on the line when when your destiny and what you might achieve rests on that you've just got to be better uh it is a difficult situation for Halifax they're not I don't think I tipped them to be in the playoff places when we did our predictions at the start of the season so they're exceeding certainly my expectations and they're doing a terrific job but there is that little worry about them you feel that perhaps and I'm not picking them for any particular reason but if a team like Chesterfield were to sneak in the playoffs with and we've spoken about their record of getting one nils it's often that kind of thing that gets you through playoff games um so that yeah there's some work there for for them to to do certainly but they're in the playoff places and they've got to be happy with that one and they've got you know they can improve they can if you're in the playoff places and you can improve you're not doing too badly are you no, well, let's move to the top of the table now. And it's fair to say it's hot enough. It's so exciting at the top, isn't it? At the minute, Hartlepool are top by a point. Of course, they've played three games more than the teams below them, certainly Sutton and Torquay. But it was seven up for Hartlepool. If you're a fan of that drink, then uh, you'll have enjoyed that yesterday. They won 7-2 at Wheelstone. They were 7-0 up at one point. There was a hat-trick for Richie Bennett. There was a couple for Reese Oates as well. I mean, they might have been disappointed towards the end to concede the couple of goals that they did. They a bit sloppy, if you're looking at it from that point of view. But the, the job was done. And then Sutton responded later on in the day by winning 4-0 at Altrincham, uh, speaking to, to Brian Flynn at Altrincham, he said we were outclassed from minute one um, and I didn't expect Altrincham to trouble Sutton and he didn't, a 4-0 win for Sutton there and then Torquay had no fixture but they're still four points behind and they got a good win at Sutton in midweek so, oh wow, it's um, it's difficult to call, isn't it? It's It's a tremendous response from Sutton. For the first time in a month or so, the shackles are off. That was a game they needed. You know, free scoring again uh, and clinical. Five shots on target, four of them scored. Um, and, and, and that bodes really well. That would have been a massive relief to Matt Gray, a strong way to bounce back and say, look, Torquay was a hammer blow, but it was just three points we didn't win. Let's go and get three on uh, Saturday. They did so comfortably at uh, Altrincham. Um, and and, and full, full credit to them. As, as for Hartlepool, I know Dickie's got a point on them. And, 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 and Dickie, when you finish, please throw to me because I've got a different one that uh, I don't think you're going to cover. But uh, your big uh, point on uh, Hartlepool is, uh, is really to do with the fact that that man, Richie Bennett, on loan from Stockport County, banged in a hat-trick. And it's a really odd situation right now, isn't it? Um, Hartlepool, desperate to keep him. And if you're any way related to Stockport, you're like, get him back in. It is the bizarrest of situations. You can only assume that the way that, that Bennett plays doesn't quite fit into Simon Rusk's plans. But if you're a Stockport County fan and can see Bennett scoring goals the way he's done since he's gone to Hartlepool, you're absolutely asking, why on earth is he out on loan at another club? Why isn't he back with us? Terrific result from Hartlepool yesterday, doing pretty much everything you can in the circumstances, they laid down a marker um, with it with it being one of the games that we early kick off and Sutton not kicking off till four thirty. It put Sutton in the position of, for a change, almost needing to know what they had to do, and they responded terrifically to that as well. So, a lot of character from both of those sides shown there yesterday. Hartlepool keeping that unbeaten run that they've got going 
even further. Sutton rebounding from the disappointment of losing at home to Torquay in midweek. And it's just a, an absolutely fantastic title race we've got on our hands. Yeah, and uh, the point I wanted to make on on Hartlepool, and, and by the way, talking about clinical finishing again, 13 shots on target, scored seven of them. You know, to score every other effort that you, you managed to get on target looks good for them. Doesn't look quite so good for the opposition uh, defence and goalkeeper. But the interesting thing at Hartlepool is, for me, <clears throat> unfortunately, Ben Killip, the England C goalkeeper, is now out for... The next 12 weeks, so effectively he's out for the season. Um, he's, he's torn some fibres in the ligament in his elbow. And if you're a goalkeeper, that's you out for a fair while. Um, so a lot will come down. Big decision for Dave Challen, who's got 23-year-old Slovakian uh, Henrik Ravis uh, there on loan from Derby County under 23s. He's 23 years old now. Um, had a bit of experience one level down at Gainsborough, where he would have got plenty of goalkeeping practice in the last couple of seasons. So he's in the sticks, as they say, at the moment. Um, and uh, I think Challoner has said, though, in his post-match yesterday, that they are looking to bring a goalkeeper in. Um, but that'll be interesting to see. Killip has had his moments, hasn't he? But he's come through them. He's regained his place. And uh, he's a sort of keeper and the experience that he's got now over the last couple of years that you'd want in for the uh, for the rest of the season. He has, and it is a big blow to them. Uh, I have seen um, Ravas uh, playing golf for, for Gainsborough Trinity, and I know that uh, Trinity fans rated him really highly. But even so, they, they're still going to need, if he, if he ends up being the number one, they're still going to need some backup for him. There's been... A couple of moves, or there's certainly a move involving um, another goalkeeper who might have potentially been an option for them, uh, which we might come on to later, which was James Montgomery, who's joined Chesterfield this week. He's, he's northeast based, being at Gateshead. He might have been an option for them, but, but he's joined Chesterfield this week for the rest of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see what call Dave Challoner makes on that one. Absolutely. Chesterfield obviously have first uh, dibs on all players, don't they? <laughs> you would think so at the moment. Yeah, they, they, it's they, they, everybody does seem to pass through Chesterfield first. But um, no, I mean, games, if you're listening, Rory, um, tough week. Chesterfield. We'll come on to that shortly. I can hear your phone um, buzzing already, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Stockport Cowie are in fourth place. They again dropped points at home. They drew two-two with Maidenhead. He led twice. In that game, Manny Parry gave them the lead before Harry Cardwell equalised. And a uh, friend of the podcast, Danilo Orsi, gave them the lead 15 minutes from time. It looked like that could be the winner for Maidenhead. But Paddy Madden, proving why they brought him in, Stockport County, he got the equaliser for them in the end. And Chris caught up with the Maidenhead manager, Alan Demonshire, after the game. So, Alan, what a real entertaining game that was. But you must be disappointed you were ahead twice in the game. Yeah, I am. I am. Um... I thought we deserved it. We had enough chances, you know, compared to them. Second half, I thought it was very good second half. But listen, we'll move on and we'll take the point. We've got, you know, 12 games to go. So, but listen, good luck to them. Uh, we're doing what we're doing. And uh, I'm happy with the boys today. They, they put a good shift in and, uh, you know, we're disappointed. We've come to a team in form, flying, to be fair. And we've been the better side. So I'm delighted with that. You really went at them today. Did you, did you spot a weakness or...? or... Was that just always going to be the point? Too much about it. Listen, <laughs> sometimes subs worked, and I did. Uh, you know, wanted to attack their two centre halves, um, and we got at them, and, and so we could have won the game on it. But listen, at the end of the day, it's two-two, and we'll sell for that. 
No, it's been a strange season. You're getting through it all right. You've, yeah, you've we've finished. Had a very up and down season. We've had like we've had no COVID in the camp at all, but we've we're behind everyone else. You know, we had four weeks off at Christmas. Four weeks through other teams, which hurt us. Then we've had another two weeks, then ten days. So we just kind of getting back. It takes time to get back into it. So I like to think now the last. We're playing Saturday, Tuesday for the next seven weeks. So I like to think we'll be out. Hopefully injury's not too bad, but hopefully we can push on now. And what did you do during those times? A lot of training sessions, yeah, practice training, matches? Trying to keep each other you know, sharp and that, but you need your games. That's all we can do now, so that's out of our hands. Do you think you could have nicked it at the end? Yeah, could have done. Could easier have done. I thought Sammy was going to score at the end, but... Uh, Listen, it is what it is, and uh, I probably would have settled that before the game. So That was Alan Devonshire, and uh, points dropped for Stockport County again at home. Um, really good point for Maidenhead, but frustration again for Simon Rusk. Yeah, a few growing pains, but uh, they're, they're, they're largely on track. They may, have, they may have just opened the back, you know, they may have focused a little bit more on going forward yesterday and, and, and opened the door at the back a little. They, they've been squeaking defensively, haven't they, the, the best defence in in the National League, but um, for, for for Stockport County, it's a little bit of a blow, particularly as as, as some of the other boys had convincing wins yesterday, but they uh, they still got themselves a point. As for the competition between us boys on the podcast team, I think at least three of us now have uh, interviewed Alan Devonshire, and I don't think any of us have managed to get one for more than two minutes yet, have we? <laughs> no, well, it gives it, it's. I think it's I like that though. If you can get four questions in in two minutes, that's uh, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> pretty impressive yeah. going. Um, but yeah, fair play to Maidenhead. They're in sixteenth uh, on forty-one points in sort of in no man's land really. But um, they're still still fighting away and a good point for them. Uh, Wrexham, uh, they we mentioned it last week, didn't they? They seem to like win and lose in clusters. They're on a three-match losing streak without scoring and now they've won two on the bounce and they've scored eight goals without conceding away from home as well. It's pretty, it's pretty bizarre the way it's going from at the minute. It's an absolutely huge rebound from Wrexham when you, you look at the run they'd been on. They lost three consecutively. Then they went to Halifax on Tuesday night with 4-0 up by half-time with a hat-trick from Jordan Davis, midfielder. He scored again yesterday. And... A second 4-0 win away from home. If we had, and I think I personally expressed some doubts about Wrexham, when you lose three games like that on the bounce, you have to wonder whether they've got what it takes to be up there. But to rebound with two 4-0 wins like that, I suppose the thing for Dean Keats is what he doesn't want is for his team to be have to be backed into a corner to produce that kind of result regularly. But you know, they have rebounded in two, two great wins for them and, and they're back on the playoff places again. And just looking at that one from the other perspective for a moment from, from Wokings, I think one thing you have to take into account in that result yesterday, Woking, having stumbled in the semi-finals of the FA Trophy and initially threatened to put their players on furlough and, you know, <clears throat> they obviously looked into that and decided against it in the end. But Alan Dowson admitted in his post-match interview yesterday with my BBC colleague Gav Dennison, that it is difficult to motivate a team. They're, they're clearly not going up and they're not going down. Uh, they also have, I, th- I think they had nine or ten first teamers out yesterday and they picked up two injuries in the game as well. So from Woking's point of view, it looks like a horrible end to the season. Very difficult for them to really grasp something to, to, to play for other than those players that are part-time at the minute, the ones that want the full-time contracts for next season. 
I thought you were going to burst into rhyme before, Rob, when you were going to say they were neither, they were only halfway up and they were neither up or down. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, there was a few, there was a few floating around yesterday, live from the hive and stuff like that. But no, I'm not as smart as you boys with all the puns. Uh, just a quick one on Douse, as you say, he signed a contract. I think was it last week or the week before to to be full time as well. Um, it's part of the plans going forward. Yeah, the the the, the full management team, Ian Dyer as well, and uh, and uh, Martin Tyler, voice of the intro sometimes. Um, yeah, that Woken have, uh, have have made their decision. They've made it early, and it will be uh, Douse and his current management team uh, going into the unknown for them into the unknown. So, uh, but. I think, as a few people have said, they've earned the right, they've earned the opportunity to have a go at it. Flipping it back to Wrexham, it is odd, isn't it? Their form, it fluctuates, doesn't it? But they're doing enough and their players will get that little bit more of the bonus this week because they're back in the playoff places. Um, that very, very strange player bonus scheme that, 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 that Wrexham shouted about. Something else they shouted about was they didn't care that they weren't going to get a grant from... Uh, uh, you know, along with the with the other English clubs, they they didn't need the money. Well, would you believe it? This week, they uh, Wrexham have received a grant, a hundred thousand pound grant, not a loan from the Welsh government's Spectator Sports Survival Fund to help offset some of the losses caused by the COVID pandemic. Um, and I've got a quote here from the non-league paper. A club spokesman at Wrexham said, "Wrexham AFC were pleased to receive a hundred thousand that the club has suffered losses well in excess of this amount as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, which are currently being met by the club's owners, Rob and Ryan. The owners have committed to ensure the club survives the financial implications of the pandemic. And this grant helps to ensure that this commitment does not compromise the owner's proactive plans to make a positive difference in the wider Wrexham community what do we think of that one boys it's interesting they've got the grant now and as, as you say it does take the pressure off off the two owners there as well and it's something they have been pushing for i know they, they say because they weren't eligible for the grants originally because they're in england and they weren't allowed to bring players in on loan because of a different it's like under the uefa transfer market so uh, it's been tough for them in that sense but they've kept going and, and this is a, it's a massive boost for me everything just seems to be coming together at the right time for Wrexham now doesn't it it seems to be, yeah, and, and they are making the best of the situation they've got. They suffered another blow with losing Kwame Thomas as well, but I, I don't recall whether we mentioned it on the podcast last week, but they have brought in three players just to give them a little bit more depth in that squad, just to put a little bit more pressure on those players who are in the possession of the shirts at the moment. And I think one of those players, Gold Omatayo, who was at Gloucester earlier in the season, he scored his first goal for them yesterday. Uh, they've also brought in, uh, they were all free agents. I think that was the issue. There was Keanu Marsh-Brown as well, who was another former Gloucester player. And Chris Sang, who'd previously been at Barnsley. I know I've seen him play for Geisley against Telford in the past. And he looked... Um, a bit of a handful at times as well. So they've they've done what they've been able to do in finding some free agents to just increase that competition in the squad. And yeah, and they, they keep on going. And they were clinical yesterday as well, by the way. Another one of those teams, four shots on target, four goals uh, against Woking. And I know Dows felt afterwards that was not really a scoreline that reflected the game. But look in the non-league paper today and you see it was Woking, Neil Rex and four. So Chesterfield are now without a win in two. They drew nil-nil with Boreham Wood on Tuesday and then lost 
we may be surprisingly at home to Bromley on Saturday. And I know James Rowe, he'll you know, been steaming about the goals if you'd have seen him. It was just, the first one was just a ball over the top, which they let bounce. And you don't let Michael Cheekin and go like that. And he finished. But it looked like they'd rescued a point. Lawrence Maguire drilled home. But uh, later on, Joe Kizzy popped up at the back post to head home. And it's been a really good start for Andy Woodman, hasn't it? It has full credit to uh, to Bromley. I had uh, uh, ex Bromley manager Neil Smith alongside me at my match yesterday, and we kept an eye on that one. And uh, he, he said that was a fantastic win for the boys. Um, he's, he's still obviously going to be the first result that he looks for. Uh, and Joe Kizzy, he, he, he's he's your man you want, isn't he? In the trenches, he, he comes up with these goals. Uh, I know he he can be hero or zero, can't he? He's had a couple of sendings off as well, but a great win for Bromley. As for Chesterfield, well, Rowe already, I'm sure, a little bit downcast with the loss of Aquasi Asante. Here's his quote. He said, I'll probably get myself in trouble, uh, but I've just looked back at the two penalty decisions. The first one is Stonewall on George Carline. He's been bundled down, and the second one, he's come through him. If their assistant manager even is saying that it's a penalty, then I don't know what's going on. They scored two fair goals, and there's nothing wrong with their goals. But we should have had two Stonewall penalties. Stonewall, he said for a third time. Yeah. It's that taste you get after a game that something's not right. The lads didn't deserve that. I just don't know what would have happened if there'd been 8,000 in here today. Absolute chaos. Very, very... Um, listen, he's a winner, James Rowe. Uh, and, and sometimes with winners, they really detest losing. Um, and, you know, I've seen it at close hand. But he'll channel it. He'll pull himself round, he'll pull his team round and he'll use it in the right way. And don't be surprised if, uh, you know, a hurt Chesterfield bounce back with a win in their next game. Yeah, Dickie? Yeah, Chesterfield added a couple of new faces this week. I've already mentioned James Montgomery in goal uh, as backup. And um, Manny Oyeleke's come in as well on an undisclosed fee from Port Vale, as I understand. He's a player you know well, Rob. Yeah, there were, there were some whispers uh, on social media that that fee might have been 10,000. You never know with these figures. But, um, you know, Manny Oyeliki, fantastic acquisition for, for James Rowe, as long as he stays fit. I think the, he wouldn't be leaving a club like Port Vale had he, had he been consistently available. I think his frustration, he's had a, a couple of relatively long-term injuries that, that has kind of um, curtailed his time at Port Vale. But... Uh, Absolutely a, a pivotal role in uh, that Aldershot midfield that got to the playoffs uh, three or four seasons ago. Um, a lovely, lovely man, a top professional. And, 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 and one of those players, just stick him in the middle of the park. He'll get it, he'll give it, he'll win it. Um, and, and, and a really, really good signing for, for Rowe. Um, I, just, I just wonder when it's all, it's all going to stop. I, can't, I just can't quite believe now how many players Chesterfield have signed. And, and, and no. obviously, the, the other side of that, um, Dickie, is that um, I, I don't have the numbers on it, but obviously they, they have, let's say, taken advantage of the furlough scheme and, and a number of the players that are not in James Rowe's plans uh, have, have long since been furloughed. Um, and there are one or two dissenting voices about that um, in the National League, but, but I, I think it's within the rules and, um, you know, therefore it's in, entirely up to Chesterfield to do it. Yeah, there are indeed. And I, I read a comment from James Rowe, I think, in the Derbyshire Times this week, where he said he, he couldn't understand why Chesterfield seemed to attract so much negative comment around the use of the furlough scheme when there are other clubs using it as well. 
and are perhaps haven't just used it as effectively. Um, I don't believe that they, they've broken any rules in what they've done uh, and whether people feel it's the right thing to do or not it is a matter of personal choice, but it is within the rules. We know that James Rowe is a winner. He is unapologetic about the fact that they've used that scheme to their advantage. If they'd done so and they'd only got up to mid-table, would we be talking about it? I'm not sure that we would, but you know, when they've propelled themselves to the edge of the playoff places... I think it brings out all those detractors and the people who would seem to feel that they've used an unfair advantage. And it's hard. It's not unfair because it is within the rules of the scheme. I'm sure if it wasn't within the rules of the scheme, Chesterfield would have had a visit from somebody in, in HM government by now saying what's going on. Is it almost as well? Is it is it easy for them to fill old players and it is to just pay up contracts, I suppose, as well, isn't it? Cheaper. A hundred percent it is. I think that's, a, that, that's, that's the obvious side of this. Um, but look, it's been well discussed. People have had their say. James Rose responded. Let's move on. Yeah, let's, let's move on and have a look at the team just outside the playoff places. Uh, Eastley, well, you can always put your house on someone scoring for Eastley. Ben House, and he got the winner again at Notts County. Um, difficult time for Ian Birchall, but a really good win for Ben Strevens, man. Huge. I think last weekend I sort of somewhat bravely said I thought Notts County were out of the title race. I, I think it's definite now. It's three defeats on the trot. Tough start for uh, Ian Birchinall. And interesting reading about this one. It's been a tough start for Notts County. And uh, I do enjoy reading John Brindley's non-league paper uh, reports. There's not so much in the way of quotes from the managers, but... Uh, uh, he gets across his opinion uh, quite well. So he says the new Magpies boss who endured a torrid start at Meadow Lane after taking over from Neil Ardley claimed his side had dominated and had total control of that match yesterday that they lost 1-0. Um, but a club based on statistics now faces difficult facts. Three successive National defeat, League defeats, five losses in seven games since the surprise change of direction and now outside of the playoffs for the first time since January. Birchnell, though, shouldn't be slated. He was placed in a very difficult position, taking over a team that, whilst far from broken, was already firing on half cylinders. But the tweaks he has made to accommodate his passing style appear yet to click with a mixture of players short of confidence and others unproven at National League level. That's an insight from somebody who watches and writes about Notts County every week. And he's pulled no punches there, hasn't he? No, really interesting quotes there. Like, I like the statistics line as well. Um, but the one thing I would say at the back is he tried to go for experience. I know it wasn't Ian Birchnell's signings, but the likes of Mark Ellis, for example, he looked, when we saw him against Aldershot, he just looked slow, he looked ponderous. And then I saw him against Hartlepool, he looked really uncertain. And he just seems to spend half his time moaning to the ref. And it's almost like they've got to concentrate on their own. These teams, sometimes you've got to, Look, they're looking for excuses, aren't they? You've got to sometimes focus on yourselves. I mean, you have got two games in hand and they're only just, they're outside the playoff places by one place and a level on points with Chesterfield. I mean, I know I mentioned Eastley there. Eastley have played two games more. Um, it's not out of it for Notts County, but I heard Adam Virgo say yesterday that he doesn't think Notts County will make the playoffs, but equally he said he didn't think Sutton would win the league. So we're going to see, aren't we? Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make there and it, it touches I think some of that touches back on on what we mentioned um, when Neil Ardley was manager of County. I think he referred to County as as something of a crisis club in that 
he didn't necessarily see it was as, as a crisis from the inside, but it only took a couple of poor results for the pressure to really get ramped up at Notts County, probably because of expectation. And, you know, are, are you seeing evidence of players of it there with players blaming, seeking to blame referees for things or whatever, rather than being able to focus, you know, concentrating on their own game? Is that something to do with expectation? I've been having a look at the run-ins for, for these teams as well. And, and, You've quoted there and said about Adam Virgo saying that he thinks County are out of the promotion race now, certainly for the direct promotion place. I think they are. I do wonder whether the playoffs is even a bit sketchy for them as well. They've got to go to Torquay. They've got to go to Wrexham and Sutton have got to go to Notts County as well. And those are three huge games for Notts County. If they don't get much out of those, then they are potentially looking at finishing the season outside of the top seven. And I think that would absolutely be regarded as failure for Notts County. When we spoke to Richard Smith, who was sat behind us uh, when we went to Notts County the other week, he sort of said he felt last season was their big chance and it did almost do a Wrexham in staying in this league for the next 10 years. So it is vital that they try and get into the playoffs and try and get up because if they don't reach the playoffs this year, you fear that they could be stuck in this division for quite a while. Yeah, uh, Notts County was sat in a playoff position when they sacked hardly. And so to make a change then when they did was uh, strange. And... Uh, you kind of felt for that decision to reap its benefits, Notts uh, County had to go on and win promotion uh, by whichever way it came. Um, now, as you say, there's, a, there's an actual danger of them not finishing in the, in the playoff positions. Look, let's not get too carried away. They're only just outside them and they do have a game in hand or two on some of the clubs. So they've got time to still get it right under, under Birchnell. But um, yeah, if, if they don't finish in the top seven, it's going to be seen as a massive own goal by uh, Notts County. And, you know, I was talking with uh, Neil Smith again yesterday, not, not, not privately, it was on air about the decision that Notts County made. And, and he said he was almost as surprised, if not more, that Ardley had gone from Notts County as his own dismissal, or that's the wrong word, but, uh, you know, part of the ways with, with Bromley. Um, and the timing of it particularly was odd. It was almost, we concluded that perhaps, you know, Notts County felt they had to do it before the semi-final because they were destined, of course, to go and beat Hornchurch. And uh, had they then done so, it would have been awful to rob the manager of his of his job when he was got the opportunity to lead his team out again at, at Wembley and perhaps right some wrongs from, from the past. Yeah, and, and the parachute payments end this season for the EFL, so... You feel there could be, if they don't get up, there'll be a massive overhaul there in playing staff as well next season, which means, again, they'll have to get a new team together and almost gel and, and go from there. They might have to cut their cloth a bit differently. I said the, the parachute payments last for two seasons and, and this is County's second season. Maybe that was a factor in them taking a gamble on on bringing Ian Birchnell in at this point in that, you know, they will have been affected by loss of income this year in the same that, that all clubs have in they're, they're not different in that respect but when you have a fan base the size of Nos County the, the, the loss of income has, has probably been considerably larger um, and then if you think about the parachute payments ending as well I think that assessment that Richard Smith made about that perhaps if County don't get there this season that they could be facing a longer stay in the division could turn out to be quite accurate You probably think you're pretty good at multitasking behind the wheel I mean, you have to multitask to drive. So what's wrong with checking your phone? The thing is, your brain simply doesn't work. Even a for quick reply affects your concentration and makes you less able to react to hazards. If you use a mobile phone while driving, 
you're four times more likely to crash. Think. Put your phone away. Let's look at all the shot robbers there. Playoff chances gone for a Barnet. Yeah, I think um, Danny Sell has been very keen in the last couple of post-match interviews to say, look, people keep talking about the playoffs. I wish they, they wouldn't. He said, what we're about is trying to improve on last season. We finished 18th. We're sat 12th at the minute. We're on track for a comfortable improvement on last season. And you get a bit hang up with all the, the, the talk of, of the playoffs. All the shots showed from their point of view um, that, that you know they, they lived up to their billing as the most inconsistent team in the National League. They were superb on Tuesday night at Weymouth from start to finish um, with a quite brilliant performance. Another couple of goals for, for Josh Reese. Um, and the exact same 11 went to Barnet yesterday in very different circumstances, which we'll come on to. Rob, I was going to but, say, because you said Aldershot struggle when the team's physical and get in the faces. So what approach did Barnet take? Well, Barnet were very well prepared for that game yesterday. The new management team of Simon Bassey and Dave Anderson had done their homework. They'd had the whole week to prepare for the game. Um, they, they'd, done, they'd done that homework. You could see um, every time Joel Nuble got the ball, he was quickly got two or three players on him. Um, I think they targeted maybe that if, if they could stop Reese and Nuble, then they could probably stop Aldershot. And Aldershot have to find another way. If those players are being heavily marked, there has to be other players available. But look, let's draw a line there from an Aldershot perspective. They'll bounce back. They've got Kingsley in the week. And the same group of players could, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde team could turn up and, 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 and perform, you know, really well again on Tuesday night. But I want to focus on, on Barnet now. A, a wretched season, a horrible, horrible season for Barnet. 72 goals conceded, minus 50. What a task for Bassey and Anderson coming in uh, to try and regroup those players. There's no doubt they gave themselves a great platform with the nil-nil at Maidenhead last week. And yesterday... Look, they were together. They found a way to stop an Aldershot side that can be quite potent attacking-wise away, away from home. Um, there were long periods of the game where Aldershot kind of looked the more comfortable and cohesive football team. But Barnett found a way, a way to keep Aldershot out, other than a hotly disputed Paniatu goal where there may have been a foul on the uh, the keeper, Aziz. Um, Aziz sorry. But um, a brilliant move for the first goal. Um, Mason Clark whipped the ball out to the right-hand side. Lee Vaughan, who's a player I've always admired, took it beautifully on his chest, one touch to control it, and then sent in a lovely cross to JJ Hooper, who played the lone role up front. He looped his head up over Mitch Walker. It was a quite brilliant goal from, from Barnett. Um, they had the disappointment of the difficult decision go against him just after half-time when that goal uh, equaliser for Aldershot was, was, was disallowed. And it was a big half-time team talk for, for, for Simon Bassey. He said to the players, look, we either sit and sulk now or we respond. And they responded. They played well. They were the better side in the second half. They deserved the win that they got in the end. The third goal really was just a breakaway as Aldershot were trying to push for, for the leveller. But sadly, Aldershot contributed to their own downfall. Um, mix up between goalkeeper and centre-half and then Fowler brought down Mason Clark. But a real fillip for Barnett. Four points out of six in the week. And afterwards, I caught up with their first-team coach and current caretaker manager, Simon Bassey. Simon, you and Dave have taken over the helm at Barnet in ridiculously difficult circumstances. 
you've pulled the boys together, you've gone and got yourself a really good clean sheet at Maidenhead last week, and you've built on that platform today with a free uh, free one win against Aldershot. You must be delighted. Yeah, really pleased, really pleased. We uh, obviously difficult task as you say, but you know we've come in, we've we've been nice and honest with the players. We've asked them. Uh, their thoughts. We've given them some structure to work from. We've given them some discipline, um, maybe that hadn't been here previously, um, and been really chuffed from their work ethic. It's been brilliant, um, and to go and build off of the point at Maidenhead, which was really good. Um, after a couple of days training, you know, we had a week's training and bits and done bits and pieces, and you know, we was really happy with today. You look as if you've done your homework on Aldershot. Um, every time Nuble got the ball, there were two or three people on him and you kept him very, very quiet on the day. But you still had to get a performance out your own side and, and, and to get three goals. Obviously, the last one, you know, those, those goals happen, don't they? But uh, was it almost the perfect day for you? I mean, you'll hotly dispute, I'm sure, the Aldershot goal where everybody went foul and the ref didn't. Yeah. I say disappointed we'd like to have another clean sheet and, and, and young Eamon deserved another clean sheet today we've protected him well with, with our back four and the two centre midfield players have been tireless in their work and, and we deserved the clean sheet I thought and to lose a goal in them circumstances kind of changed the game I thought we could have got to half time and, and, and built on but you know previously they may have <clears throat> they may have crumbled and they may have um, felt sorry for their self that's not us now going forward. You know, I've said to, to them what we're going to be. Um, nothing can be achieved here on our own. You know, we need everyone. We need to stick together. We need to be good teammates, good people. Um, and there's some good people here, you know, and, and we're, we're sort of putting building blocks in place to take this club forward, hopefully. And uh, final question, really. Um... I was talking to to Neil Smith, who was alongside me in commentary today, about the, the difficult decisions of what subs to make and when. went like a dream, didn't it? If I'm right, one sub won the ball and the other one weaved his way through and stuck it in the back yeah. of the net. Well, I put uh, Big Ben in midfield the other day in training to get his legs working because he's obviously been suspended. So I just put him on because th- at that stage there was a lot of balls coming in our box and I thought that was the only way they were going to score. So I put him in on in centre midfield and yeah, he showed a good turn of pace to, to put Tommy in and, and it was a fantastic finisher. So if subs could be uh, made again, that would be perfect. So it was a, a dream substitution really. What was interesting about that interview, Rob, was he, he mentioned attitude and discipline and he said him and Dave Anderson have come in and changed that, which suggests that there was a problem within the squad, wasn't there? And I know, Dickie, that's something you want to touch on as well regarding um, Gary Anderson, who's in charge. He didn't quite hit the bullseye, but um, in, in this come Dave Anderson and Simon Bassey and maybe they've turned it round in terms of that, the application side. Yeah, and he's not a big spender either, is he, Bassey? Nope. Gave you a tune though yesterday, Rob, didn't he? <laughs> Go on, Dickie. You know, Bonnet have been desperately in need of some stability, haven't they? I think that, that I think that we're talking about them being the, the, the fourth management, uh, or not the fourth management pairing, but certainly the fourth the fourth different manager they've had this season. They're a club desperately in need of stability, and I think uh, when when you're in the situation they've been in, the the minimum that a new manager is going to look for is that discipline that you've been spoken about there. And that, that's not about, you know, discipline in terms of yellow cards and red cards. We're actually talking about players sticking to their job and knowing what their role is and doing that and keeping your shape and just making yourself harder to beat, I would expect. Um, there's also 
possibly if, if looking into the future, this group of players at Barnet now may also have a sense that these are the, the guys who are going to be in charge of the club next season. So it's if they want to impress them, now's their opportunity. When it was only a caretaker in charge before, how committed were they to showing you know, what they could do and what they got? Because they know that the man in charge isn't going to be the man in charge long term. It's not ultimately him that they've got to impress. Now that Simon Bassey is in post, they've got somebody there. They think, right, OK, he's the guy I need to impress now if I want to be playing for Barnet next season. And a quick footnote as well. A couple of players who impressed me yesterday. Mason Clark, again, he's only got, prior to yesterday, I mean, tucked away the penalty. That was only his second goal of the season. But I was looking at the uh, squad list and, he, and, and, and uh, I don't know if he's virtually the only one playing yesterday that's there from the original squad at the start uh, of the season. Uh, obviously, the likes of the skipper, Dunn and Alfie Pavey, etc. Have, have been furloughed. So we wait to see what happens with them going into to next season. But the other one who impressed from minute one, he was like an absolute terrier, Sam Beard, who uh, has come over from Dorking Wanderers. Um, and he's not in Dorking Wanderers plans for next season. I think that's known. He wants to go on and play full-time football. And if you ever saw a player playing for a contract or playing for a chance yesterday, that was Sam Beard. Um, uh, an absolute, he literally sat on Joel Nuble and said, you're not going to get an inch today to the point that sort of half an hour in Nuble uh, switched wings. But uh, yeah, he really, really impressed me yesterday. And, and it was great to see a game at this stage of the season by two clubs who were not going to go down and, uh, you know, probably not going to go up. I say that, you know, with heart, a little bit of heartache, really. Uh, it may have been the end of all the shots outside chances of the playoffs yesterday. Probably was. Um, it was great to see two, see two teams going at it, held for leather, wanting to win. And, and that's something that really helps to show the National League in a good light right now after what's been a difficult year. Yeah, and the other game was Dagger number three, Solihull Moors two, a game which contained the only red card in the National League on Saturday. That was for Tyrone Williams and both clubs directly below Aldershot. Again, they're teams that are in no man's land, really, but uh, a good win, for, good win for Dagenham. But like we say, Rob, a bit, is it a bit of an underwhelming season for them? Well, it is, but credit to them. Two wins, uh, you know, over the last two weekends. I can't remember how they did in midweek, to be honest with you, off the record. But, um, you know, McMahon's just doing enough, you think, isn't he? You know, from from time to time, he's pulling out the odd result, um, you know, for them. And they came from behind again yesterday as well to beat, let's face it, Solihull Moore's side, who who haven't lost, I think, in five or six before that. Yeah, first so, loss but... in five, that was, Rob. Is that Mike yeah. Yates' first defeat as well, Dickie? He started with, um, I think he started with three losses on the bounce, and then I think they rebounded with this run of five. So, yes. Solihull a little bit streaky as well. I think that's a second red card for Tyrone Williams in the space of a few weeks as well. So, he's he's probably just come back from suspension and he's, he's facing another one. So that, it was that's a straight red as well, so it was a straight red, so that'll be a longer ban. It will, yeah. There's not going to be an awful lot of games left in Tyrone Williams' season after that, unfortunately. Maybe there's a little mini-league within a league, Dagenham, Solihull and Aldershot. They are bang mid-table and the reason why is they probably are the three. We'll add them to the little group of two that we had previously, Dagenham, Aldershot and now Solihull Moors, probably the three most inconsistent sides in the National League. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, different reasons. I mean, obviously the the focus probably more from a negative point of view would be more on Dagenham because they shouldn't be down there. They shouldn't be in that position with the budget they've got, with the players they've assembled. 
Solihull Moors, you can point to the fact that uh, they um, have got a relatively new manager and it's a rebuilding stage there. And Aldershot, let's be honest about it. You know, they finished 18th last year. I predicted them to finish 16th. They're sat 12th at the moment. And, and that's an improvement. The, uh, the tear your hair out division, that little mini three, shall we? <laughs> I think all three. I think all three of those sides can be a danger. I think that that that's the point about that. And, and we've spoken about the unpredictability of this league and and why we love this league so much. But literally, all three of those sides can be a danger to any of the sides higher up in the division. With the shackles now off day. as well. Yeah. yeah, but you just don't know which one of them is going to turn up. That's the trouble. Uh, there was news as well off the field with uh, regarding the National League, wasn't it, Dickin and Mark Eyes? And I know Rob's got some quotes from Mark Eyes. We, we did try to get in touch with the National League, but we, well, it's been busy this week. They haven't really got back to us. But Dickie, uh, Mark Ives. Yeah, he was. Mark Ives was um, appointed as interim general manager uh, initially for a three month period, but he's had his. Uh, appointment confirmed now and he will be the general manager of the National League going forward from this point. Obviously we've had some contact with with him um, and and been able to start forming some impressions of him. I'm sure clubs from their contact with him uh, are forming their own impressions. And I know fans on social media seeing the appointment have, have also got some uh, impressions of his appointment. Um, some of them were good. Some of them were, were not so good. Certainly people who'd encountered Mark Ives in the past when he's been a, a referee and, and at the Football Association speak very highly of him. And um, I say, Rob, you've, you've got, there's an interview with him in the non-league paper today, I gather. Yeah, there is uh, a good read uh, interview with uh, the editor, Matt Badcock. A um, couple of quotes from that, really. Um, I've says, look, I've got things I have in my own mind that I do think will enhance things, but you can only do that working closely with everyone around you. I've been here three months, but already I've seen the importance of being close to the clubs. I vowed from the outset that communication would be better. That's definitely the case. And, and I think we could concur with that. But there is more work to be done. Oh, sorry, is there more work to be done? Yes, there's lots more work to be done. We'll work together to galvanise people back together again from the strains of the last 14 months. Um, specifically on uh, looking forward on contingency plans, should crowds be prevented from inten- uh, attending games at any point next season? He says, look, the one thing I've learned is that you can't make a firm decision with the direction of COVID. You just need to be aware of what might be around the corner. Are we having conversations about what if? Then yes, you need to plan for unexpected circumstances. There's no point discussing hypothetical situations, though. You just need to be aware that the situation might turn out to be reality and be prepared to deal with it. Uh, Are we picking up the learnings from the last 12 months? Of course, yes. And a final footnote. Um, Ives thinks that some of the criticism of the league and its board has been unfair, but he's determined to lead the competition forward. He said, it's funny, as a referee many, many years ago, once I stopped worrying about what my own marks were, I got on better because I could referee naturally. I can only look forward. I can't change the past. Can I influence what we do moving forward? Yes, I can. Life is all about learning. Well, um, it's an interesting appointment from the league. I mean, were they to bring someone else in again new, would they, you know, would, would that potentially set things back even further? Ives has been in for three months. He will have got a good grasp on some issues, some of which were not of his own kind of making. And, and he's set about steadying the ship. A lot of clubs aren't happy still, are they? But um, 
you know, it's a lot of onus on him now, boys, to, uh, to uh, you know, get things right going forward. And the big thing, as we found out on other podcasts and the non-league paper, he's very visible, isn't he? He's willing to come out and explain decisions, whereas, said in previous regime, you didn't hear a peep out of him a lot of the time. And I think that's, that was a lot of the frustrations for the clubs, wasn't it, Dickie, in the end? I think it was, and I think that bodes well from Mark Ives, that he is willing to be visible and he is willing to front the organisation and 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 listen to clubs and answer those questions that they, they may have. I, I don't believe that he would claim to have all of the answers, certainly not in the situation that we've been through. It's been a, a really difficult 12 months for everybody in society, full stop, let alone trying to, to run a football league, a, a football competition with the challenges that exist within the National League because you've got this this big disparity of clubs. You've got you've got a lot of upwardly ambitious clubs in there. You've got a lot of clubs who I wouldn't say content and necessarily to sort of just be in either National League North or National League South, but you know that they they conscious of of what they can realistically achieve I think some of these clubs so it's a real melting pot and I think it's the great strength of the National League that it's got all that but it's also that can be its weakness at times as well so it's a fascinating league that he's he's taking charge of Um, and it and it does bode well we've obviously got this situation as well with the the EGM um, and the potential for a no confidence vote which I think at 17 clubs have have backed that call for an EGM I don't know what the consequence of that is going to be, but I think touching on on what Rob said there about Mark Ives, that if you'd appointed somebody different at this point, you have to start all over again. I think one thing that perhaps doesn't come through very much when you maybe just look at social media and look at people's reactions to this kind of thing is the fact that there are established relationships between particularly the EFL and board members at the National League, which you would have to start all over again with if you just said wholesale that we do not want this group of board members in charge. Could they benefit from having some new blood on there? Well, who doesn't? You know, having some new faces around and hearing some fresh voices from time to time is is a good thing anywhere, I think. But I I think wholesale change would be um, a mistake, personally. and, and under Mark Ives, I do think the National League got an opportunity to set out its stall for where it wants to go over the next few years. And as good as social media is, if, if everyone made a decision based on social media reaction, I don't think we'd get anywhere, would we? It's a hugely polarising place. You know, you, you will tend to hear from the people who shout the loudest. And it's always my feeling that there are a much, much larger group of people who you don't hear of from social on social media who are able to see the wider picture, the bigger picture. Um, and I think that's what Mark Ives has, has got to do ultimately. And that he he would be, I don't want to tell him how to do his job, but I think he'd be foolish to get drawn into responding to too much criticism on social media. Um, but I do think he's done the right thing in feeling that the communication needs to be closer and needs to be better. I think that just helps anybody in any situation to know why a decision has been made. Just drawing a line there, boys, if we can, from a very, very serious point to uh, something really, really fun that we're looking forward to. Uh, this podcast will be out on Sunday evening. And uh, around the time that comes out, we've uh, got a nice little event organised, which uh, we're going to record for your listening pleasure. Um, it's a little bit unusual. It's a little bit different. We've got four of the uh, BT 
so, uh, sports soccer team, joining four of us. Um, Amateurs. Four, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it's the B team. So we've got uh, we've got Jeff Brazier, Matt Smith, Adam Summerton, and Adam Virgo. Uh, they will be taking on a quiz devised by Tom Lang, our very own Tom Lang. No bribes have uh, exchanged hands. And uh, Luke, Chris, Dickie and myself will be taking on the boys from BT Sport in a separate podcast that, uh, Luke, I guess you can give the listeners a bit of an idea on when that might be out during the week. Yeah, it's going to come out midweek, hopefully all being well. We're going to leave it a little bit of time to let this podcast settle and people digest everything. And then we're going to throw out our little quiz a special podcast and it's going to be like a bit like the FA Cup isn't it when non-league take on a Premier League side I think and we're the non-league side <laughs> yeah David, it's, it's David against Goliath I think yeah. but uh, um, throughout that quiz as well each of those eight individuals I've mentioned will all nail our colours to the mast and we're all going to say who's going to win the National League and who is going to win the playoffs so it'll be interesting to see what everybody says uh, later on and just great to catch up with all of those guys so look out for that podcast to follow this one uh, a couple of days into next week well that is it thank you very much for listening don't forget to follow us on all social media on twitter on instagram uh, we've not got youtube yet but anyway and, and give us a subscribe on all good podcasting platforms and we shall see you all very soon and don't forget to listen out to our special podcast coming out in the middle of this week Until then, look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon.